nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Kareem Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast, where we're recording shortly after Real Madrid draw Villarreal 2-2 at the Ceramica in a wild game that made little to no sense. And Bian is probably still playing ads instead of showing the game while we record this. And joining me, Kian Sabani, to make sense of all of this is Om Arvin. Om, how you doing? Bro, that was possibly the worst start to a Real Madrid game, just all things considered, from... Going on to Fubo, wondering what the fuck is going on when I'm looking at like 10 million ads, when I can clearly see, like when I clearly know that the game has started. And then they finally take you to the game and like they they do the split screen with the game being like one tenth the size of the screen and the ads filling up the other half. And by the time I finally get to see the full match on my screen, Villarreal score. And this was all after like when I first tried to tune into Fubo, the first thing I saw was Thomas Partey's last-minute winner on replay. So it was just a beautiful 10 minutes of pure viewing genius. And I was so pissed. I could not focus on that first half at all. Like, in the lead-up to this pod, it was just me going back over the first half just to, like, verify some, some of, like, the random observations I had and just try to get, like, a more coherent picture of what happened because, like, I could not focus. At least, for, at least for the first thirty minutes, I was just fuming, and then after that, I was just laughing at how bizarre this game was. Someone should make a meme. You know that meme where the guy's like smiling at the beginning, and then the next sequence, he's like, he has oh, a yeah, straight yeah, face. Yeah. Start. It starts with that. The smile is like a bars up two nil, and then it's two one, two two. Partey scores three two at the end, and then there's seven minutes of injury time, and then. That means they broadcast the Real Madrid game. Like, what, if it's an NBA game, like this happens, it goes into extra overtime right. or something. They cut straight to the next game. There's no, there's no nonsense. There's no analysis of the previous game. No, <laughs> just get get to the point. And then it's it's a uh, it's a bunch of commercials. Like before even the pop up comes, and then it's so. Then you're like, so is this gonna start late? Like we're gonna be taped delayed, or is it gonna go live? Right. There's like eight minutes gone, and then like. Um, there's like ad after ad. And by the time like the fifth ad, you're like, okay, this is the last ad, right? And then there's like a sixth and there's a seventh. And at this point, it's like the meme turns into like the the Simpsons one where it's like the hanging rope and it's like today, old friend. And then uh, <laughs> and then as soon as the, the broadcast resumes, it's it's the Ramos giveaway. So um, I, think, I think it was almost fitting that it, the entire thing started off this way because the game made no sense also. So while... Anything leading up to the game made no sense. The game itself made no sense. You had Carvajal as a ball carrier, as a central midfielder sometimes. You had Casemiro playing the Di Stefano role. Like, we didn't even know that ver- that player existed for 40 years. He's back. He's like Godzilla. He's resurfaced. <laughs> and then you had... Um, you just had a bunch of things happening. Um, players all over the place. So, 
Um, two, two, and all of this is, and, th- and I'll just say this, like my immediate reaction was a nightmare to write because there was so much happening because neither team was defending. And then there was, um, there was chances on both sides. It was kind of end to end. And then the bail red card, I wasn't even entirely sure what happened. I saw the replay after, um, he gets a second yellow. So how do you, we'll, we'll break this down, but, but like, what is your like immediate takeaway from this? So immediate takeaway is, well, that one, well, I thought Zidane actually with his substitutions seemed to understand what the problem was. It was a little late in my opinion, but it seemed that he understood. But then in his post-match press conference, he said some things that maybe be like, does he actually understand what the problem was that game? Because what he said essentially was that, I, I mean, obviously, I mean, the first thing he said was like, our goal was to cross a lot and I wanted to pack the box with players, which explained why Casemiro was playing as like our third forward. And then after that, he said, I think we created enough chances and that our approach was good, basically. And so part of part of what I was doing going through that first half was also kind of counting through the chances we had and really trying to assess the quality of them from the eye test. I mean, we already have the XG, but I just wanted to go through. And really, the first 30 minutes was just the perfect example of how not to design a 4-4-2 possession-based system. We literally did not create a single significant chance for 30 minutes. There was a Jovic header from the corner at five minutes. I don't know about that because thanks to being... And I never saw that. So if that was a significant chance, that was the only one we had in those 30 minutes. And it was just, it was a 4-4-2 with Bale and Vasquez as wide as possible. And with Carvajal as wide as possible. And Mendy was really the only one coming inverted a little bit. And that's because that he just does that naturally. At Leon, you know, he, he he tended to come inverted and he was always balancing against the movements against the winger. But because he was the only one, it didn't really do anything. And the strangest thing of all was throughout the entire game, Benzema was not coming deep, which meant it must have been a Zidane instruction because Benzema, you can't, you, you virtually can't stop that man from coming deep to help us out. So it was just absolutely no connections whatsoever. And our buildup was a mess. The only thing we had was these long balls into the channel where Jovic and Benzema were outnumbered. And it was just, it was really, really bad that first 30 minutes there. And it was actually not 30 minutes. I actually made sure I identified the correct minute. It was 36 minutes to where we just, that structure was there. And we only, so up to that, so we only created one chance from Zidane's starting plan, real chance, which was Casemiro's header off Lucas's cross in the 31st minute. So you have 36 minutes where Zidane's plan completely failed. And then afterwards, it changed a bit. Bale clearly started to come into the left pass space. Lucas started to do it more regularly. He'd been doing it periodically, like, but never receiving the ball. They did that, and things started to look slightly better. But if you, if you, then I went and counted the chances in the second half. Besides that cross chance, we literally... And the cross chance I'm talking about is after um, the rebound and he like shoots from that angle, which wasn't a great chance. The left-footed Obviously, one. Right. Mm. XG-wise, I mean, you can immediately guess it's not going to be a great chance, but it was decent. We know Kroos, if you're taking into account the fact that Kroos is a good shooter, it was a decent chance. I'll say that. 
But besides that, in the second half, we literally, aside from set pieces, we had we had nothing from open play. Nothing until Bale scored that. And I thought actually we just we, we actually looked better for like until sixty minutes, from forty five to sixty minutes, because Bale and Lucas were playing inverted. But the problem is when you have Bale playing on the left and then you have Lucas trying to play that role, it's just not a system designed for a possession based four four two. And I get that injuries played a part in this because Hamas and Isco are playing those roles. It looks really different. I think we look a lot better. But that doesn't... Just because we have those injuries doesn't mean we have to go with this system. And then on top of that, we've had all, everything we've said about our transition defense issues were there. And it's just... So, like, with all, having said all of that, my main takeaway is that, like, tactically... <laughs> my main takeaway after this entire monologue is, yes, please follow. <laughs> please continue. I, I mean, I, I, I had to get into it. There was no other way. But my main takeaway being that, like, tactically, I just don't really see the improvement from Zidane upon previous seasons, quite frankly. And we can, we can I mean, we, we can get into a whole discussion about Casemiro as well and what he was doing, which I think is kind of emblematic of that. But, yeah, just, just looking at the chance creation as a whole and our attacking scheme, it just wasn't great. And I just don't understand how he thought it was necessarily going to be great. And from his press match conference, it was basically like, we're going to pack the box, lots of crosses. And in his opinion, it kind of worked. And if you go back and really look at the chances one by one, I don't think that it really did. And it wasn't, and we weren't really playing a particularly good opponent either. So, yeah, I mean, that was, that was worrying because I thought it was mainly really a tactical problem today. It was an entirely tactical problem. Now, <clears throat> so I'm just trying to figure out where to start with everything you just said. Um, but like, if let's just start with the post game quotes because that's um, that you know we we talked about that a little bit at the beginning of the show and you mentioned it. Um, so see, these are some of the things that that Zidane said, and I don't. I always I'm intrigued to listen to what he says afterwards, and most of the time it's nothing that you know like you don't you know you can miss it and you don't really learn anything new, and that's just Zidane's nature. He's calm. He's reserved. He diffuses things. I do there. He has been giving us some some more stuff like in the since he got appointed, and especially over the course of the summer, that it's a bit more edgy now. Um, there were certain things that he said, and obviously Casemiro said after the game that Riyamjo were in control. Like they, you totally weren't. And by the way, and when I said Casemiro is a reincarnation of Di Stefano, I didn't mean that he had a Di Stefano performance. Just that, like we we would always talk about like Di Stefano. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I'm getting into this, but Di Stefano, um, <laughs> when we did that all time eleven podcast, you remember we we spent so much time talking about um, there wasn't there hasn't been a player like him, and maybe there never will be in in the sense that he played almost every position on the field. He did so much. He was a goal scorer. He was a ten. He was a winger. He was a defender. He was a defensive midfielder. Um, and Casemiro literally was everywhere. And I, I guess the closest modern parallel that I could find to what he played today was Paulinho in the 16-17 or was it 17-18 season for Barcelona, whatever that year was, um, where he was just like this guy who arrives at the top of the box and just hits crosses or, or gets rebounds and shoots from, from just outside the box, top of the box. Um, and that's fine. That's cool. But if you want to play that way, um, you just have to know that if you look at Real Madrid on like any offensive given sequence 
they were like f- there were just waves of this game where there were five players in the box. And then six and seven, the sixth and seventh player were on the wings. One of them was crossing, one of them was at the far post. Or just in case the cross gets overhit. Um, that's seven players of your eleven. One is a goalkeeper, that's eight. That leaves you three. And Kroos, Darmos, and Varane were essentially the guys defending counterattacks. Um, so I just thought Villarreal did not punish Real Madrid. I don't think Villarreal good in this game. I, don't, I think Villarreal, the way they played, basically was kind of why they've been dropping so many points over the past, over a year now. Um, they didn't punish some of our defensive sequences. Even like when the, it wasn't a counterattack, we left players unmarked in the half spaces and they just, they just couldn't get their passing together. Um, and they, and, but they, they did not defend well either. And so there was this opportunity that neither team, I thought, really took advantage. So the postgame quotes, um, Zidane said, uh, basically after the first 15 minutes, where, at, which includes the Ramos mistake, we played good. And then he said, like, so the exact quote that you brought up was, today the plan was to play like this. We knew they had problems from crosses. We wanted to have both Luca and Karim up top. We maybe did not manage the goals we wanted, but four four two is a shape we can use, as we have two very good forwards. Um, and then he always, and then he wanted to say that a point was actually positive in this game. So, and that Villarreal scored from only two attacks. In some ways, he's not wrong, Om. And the reason I say that is because, um, oh, and then his last quote was, "We wanted to put in lots of crosses, get bodies in there, Gareth from the left, Lucas from the right, and we did that." I mean, that's no surprise. We knew that was the plan just by looking at it. But it's fun. It's I guess interesting in a way to just hear him say it. Um, the reason why I think he's not wrong is like, at least um, if you're gonna do crossing, a lot of it. I felt good about it in the sense that you had Bale and, and Jovic in there, two people who are like the guys who can who are built to finish those crosses. Almost like I, I started envisioning in my head this kind of the way Ronaldo and Mandzukic operate where they're both so good off the ball that one of them drags defenders, the other one finishes, and it's just like almost unstoppable. Like I'm not a huge advocate of crossing, but when you have two guys like that who are so elite, it makes sense. So I was like, Bale and Jovic, that, that was good. And that's part of the reason why I kind of wanted, I was hoping all the crosses would come from Vasquez so that Bale would drift into the box. In the end, though, it's just a, it's, it's, a, it's the least uh, probable path to a goal. Like, that's statistically proven. And I'm, I just honestly, like you mentioned, I'm kind of rehashing some of the stuff you mentioned, but that Casemiro was the header at the far post, which was a really good chance. There was nothing that really from crosses you, you would kind of um, pinpoint as saying, well, that worked. Um, the only the only other one was the Carvajal for Bale, like right on the ed- right like right on the edge of halftime, just right before he went to the tunnel. But that arguably, I think, was a cutback. But I guess if you want to count that as a cross, you could. But it's not like that was that was the type of strategy that like. Is typical of Zidane's crossing game, right? It's mostly kind of deep crosses, like like the one Lucas won for Casemiro. So if you want to count the Carvajal one, that's two. And literally going through the chances, I can't count anything else that produced something of quality um, from a crossing perspective. So it's just odd that he essentially said that it worked. Um, I mean, he was kind of right about Villarreal mainly scoring up two attacks. They obviously had more than that. The problem with those attacks is they were really high quality in terms of the chances they created. The one we, the, the first one we conceded, like 
a player is almost never going to miss that. The fact that um, they missed the first shot on Courtois was a bit surprising as well. And if they get the second chance, they're never going to miss that. And then the second goal, that was a bit unfortunate because, like I said earlier, I thought Zidane had recognized the problem when he made those substitutions to bring on Modric and then Vinicius to kind of perhaps change our approach a little bit and give us more men in midfield so that we had some control. Is that? I mean, but that was just a sequence of just really bad defending where you know they were able to penetrate us vertically. Casemiro could not stop Baca from receiving between the lines. They put it out wide. Both Mendy and Vinicius could not stop the cross. There's a rebound. Casemiro doesn't stick with Baca. Baca gets the shot off. We can't clear after Courtois saves. There's a pass back in and Varane's not marking his man and it's a goal. So, I mean, in that way, it was kind of unfortunate. But it there were that shouldn't have happened. Like The, the fact that it was we were in a position where it was one one and Villarreal had a chance to steal a game from just one steal the game from just one attack is a position we should never have been in because you mentioned that Villarreal were not good and I feel like that's really worth emphasizing. It's not like we came up against an opponent who played a really good game and really challenged us. Aside aside from the first fifteen to twenty minutes, their defending was quite bad. And yeah. offensively, we were just not set up to exploit that at all. And, I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, besides, like, the tactics of it, I think we have to talk about Casemiro because he was such a huge point. Like, I... Even though, you know, Casemiro improved with his ball retention in the second half, you know, both from the eye test and statistically because in the first half, he was 82% passing accuracy and then overall, he was 88%. So for it to have gotten there... You know, he, he retained the ball a lot better in the second half. And I think part of that was, you know, Bale and Lucas coming inside the half spaces and we just had more options to, to rotate the ball across the pitch. But that first half was just emblematic, I think, of what Casemiro does offensively, which is lose the ball a ton. And he did lose the ball a ton. Both him and Kroos had the same amount of attempted passes in the first half. 39, I think. Kroos almost completed them at a 90% rate, Casemiro at 82%. And there were some really, really bad giveaways in there. Yeah, there were. And then there was there was also some good passes. Like when, when Casemiro's playing switches, he generally gets them right. And then he played the pass into Jovic that basically sparked Carvajal's run, you know, into the box to feed Bale. But it's like, it it's just, he creates chaos and he, in a way, thrives in chaos. I can't say he exactly thrived today, but you know what I'm saying. And it's just, if you're going to use Casemiro like that and have him play such a prominent role in, in, in creating things on the right-hand side and have him barging in the box, it's like what he provides offensively is not worth that. I, I think we can all agree that because he was not there to defend counters because he was in the box all the time. You mentioned it was just Kroos basically protecting the back line. Yeah. The whole purpose of Casemiro is his defensive ability. What he does offensively is not worth him not being there to protect counters. And I think I think that was just per- I, I think we saw that today. Where like he gave the ball away so many times in the first half that it was shocking to me. And perhaps just I think the gods just making fun of us to have Casemiro come in the post match press conference, not post match press conference, but the um, just uh, the post match interview where he goes and says, yeah, I thought we had control the whole game. And, you know, maybe he didn't really see see it that way, 
which I think is kind of reflective of the type of player he is in possession. Well, so just to go back to some of the Villarreal stuff, and they weren't they weren't that good. I mean, even their XG was skewed. Forget that they weren't good defensively. We didn't take advantage. Like a lot of the, a lot of like good, they really were vulnerable in terms of just leaving spaces um, everywhere. Like they they weren't compact. They had they had a lot of space that they allowed Real Madrid to get in behind those passes. Just was it just wasn't good enough. The movement wasn't good enough. Their XG was also skewed because their two of the big non-goal chances that show up are basically the ones that just lead to the goals anyway. Like the mm-hmm. the Akambi one that was the shot was saved. That's the one that Moreno scored from in the first half. And then the Moreno one at the top of the box. That's the one that Moy Gomez scored from. Right, Casemiro, man, like. This is a classic Casemiro game, isn't it? Isn't it? Like this is the classic one. It's in the sense that it's terrible and great. It's terrible because you, he has some passes in there which you just like you, you don't even know. You you can't really explain it other than you just question what what he's doing. I you don't you don't understand it. Um some of his defensive positioning was actually good. Like he had some really nice interventions. His passing was really good um at 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 certain moments. Um, obviously leading up to the, the Bale's first goal and then but also just some throughout. He had some nice vertical passing. Um and then he also like that more Villarreal second goal, the Moy Gomez goal, if you just rewind it, every goal stems from something. Um and that one was Gerard Moreno was Casemiro's man and he was tracking him and then he just stopped tracking him and then at the top of the box Gerard Moreno completely open to shoot right at Courtois. And then that's with the rebound that Moy Gomez scores from. So there's, it's just a bunch of hit or miss. But the, the overarching point about this that should completely eclipse what we're even saying right now um, is that so often, you know, there will be there's this hipster narrative of you don't understand what Casemiro brings to the table. And it's like um, he is the one that, that keeps us together. He is the one that keeps it structured. And in, if it wasn't for him, we'd be suffering so much defending counterattacks. He he doesn't play as a defensive midfielder. This is not nothing new. He doesn't. He's not an anchor. He was not a defensive midfielder in this game. He's he's essentially a ten. So if you're going to have him in that role, um, is that role better served as, you know, someone who's actually an elite offensive player, which is riddled with the squad is riddled with those players. That's that's the question because you're not playing him as a defensive midfielder anymore. If you, and if and if your plan is to just attack crosses. Um, sure, but is that is that really the best use of your offensive scheme? Right. I mean, and it's not even it's not even an exaggeration. I mean, just I mean, I think even the people who are really pro Casemiro acknowledge that Casemiro was playing really really high today, and I think that was validated by Zidane saying we wanted to pack guys in the box, and Casemiro was clearly supposed to get in there and pack the box, and also like, it, and I think the thing I forgot to mention was also I think. Just I think how Casemiro just affected our build-up structure. Like I mentioned the problems with Bale and Vasquez being too wide, but with him essentially playing in the 10 space, it was basically Kroos was the only guy in the center of the park deep trying to play the ball around. But he was doing it on the left side of the pitch. So once the ball came to the right side, Casemiro was really not a viable connection to move the ball around half the time. It improved a bit in the second half um, with Casemiro's positioning, but it's... He just doesn't play that role at any kind of level that makes you that that should motivate you to get him to do that again. It's 
Mm. And it's, I, it just, I just, I, I, we're going to say this for the entire season, but I, this is a better time more than I think any other time to ask, why did we get rid of Marcos Llorente? Like, <sighs> Marcos, like, <laughs> don't get me started I mean, on Mar- this one. I mean, Marcos is not a number 10 either or anything like that, but it's just, he clearly defends at a level close to Casemiro's. I mean, he is a classic defensive midfielder. He's not like Kroos being adapted to that position or whatever. And he is just a lot better on the ball. It's just, I, I mean, Casemiro in the first half, I think, cost us a lot. He cost us a lot. He cost us control. And, you know, he worsened the build-up structure that was already pretty bad, to be fair to him. And... And then he had these two moments, one where he, he had the header and then he made that pass to Jovic, which I don't know if it really validates all the negatives he brought. Um, and it's just, it's a case of like Zidane somehow amplifying the worst of Casemiro's qualities to get a game that like, you're just got a slim chance of getting, which is like offense, like Casemiro's offensive capabilities. And it's just, yeah, I mean, it was just, it's just a little baffling to me. Like I, I just don't really get the logic behind it. Um, the the crossing thing again, just to go back to it. Um, they they cross twenty seven times in this game, which is actually like pretty bang average for what they do. It's above right. average for the football world. It's average for what Real Madrid do game in game out. Um, I think there was one thirty plus game right. That was a second game against uh, who's that home game? Valladolid. Yeah, Valladolid. Yeah. Um, so. And it's funny, the best chances weren't didn't come from crosses, although that was the prolific method. And to me, like this is this is a this is Bale's um, this is the version of you need from him for obvious reasons. In that, this is his goal. Obviously, came in a completely non-crossing situation where he cuts in, he shoots from the left foot, tight angle, very very similar to the goal he scored against Schalke in two thousand fifteen. And by the way, his 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 goal here. And the first goal was identical to his first ever goal from Real, with Real Madrid in the exact same box, in the exact same stadium. Yeah, the tapping. Same yeah. situation, Carvajal cut back. Um, that's, the, that's the version of Bale you needed after Ronaldo left, essentially, game in, game out, in that you need someone to create chances and score improbable goals from improbable scenarios. And that's what he did today in this, with the second goal. Um, so, you know, I just the... Kind of like if you go back to Real Madrid's best performances and the goals they've scored, none of them have been correlated with with crosses, which is funny because it's so. I that this is that's why it just confuses me as why we keep falling back to it, you know. Um, I, yeah, I mean, sorry, go on. Well, I'm going to switch gears to I want to talk about Mendy for a sec. <clears throat> um, yeah. Do you want to? Do you want to stay on? Do you want to see? You have something to say about Bale, or do you want to move on? Well, it was kind of a crossing, just like a real quick thing. I was talking to um, someone else on Slack, and he remarked that it kind of looked like that. What essentially Zidane is trying to do is rebuild like the sixteen, seventeen squad talent levels and just kind of play the same way. And I don't know if we have enough sample size to like say if that's true or not, but I, I do lean in that direction to basically like. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if Zidane actually has like an alternative approach to what he developed. Like he had that formula, he had success with it. And 
I don't know if he can necessarily do something else, even though to me, the squad that we have clearly requires something different. And if, if he can't produce something else, I think these type of results may be a lot more common than we want it to be in the future. Like, and even with 16-17, when we had the squad I ideally built for that high-crossing game, we often forget the amount of late comebacks it took for us to win and go on and and actually capture the La Liga title. Like, we had a comeback like this against Villarreal. Um, I think it was at the Bernabeu with Ronaldo scoring on two headers, I think it was. It, it was a lot like that. So even then, it was... Some of it was a little black magic-y, even though at the end of the day, I, I think we, we did deserve to win the league. But it's just, can we replicate that, right? Where it took, even when we had that perfect squad, it took so many last-minute winners. When we don't have that squad, to me, that's really built for this style, can we go on and replicate that? To me, the answer is no, but I don't know if since Zidane's mind, he sees it that way. And to me, that's a bit worrying. So let me point something out here because to me this is this is a huge issue to me. Um, first game against Celta, counter-attacking scheme. You're looking to get Bale on the break. Um, second game, completely different, possession-oriented, uh, multiple creators in midfield. Just completely different. Um, more focused on control and 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 winning the ball high up the pitch. Third game against Villarreal, Casemiro, your defensive midfielder, is, is your number ten. Um, you're not. You're. You've put Cruz as a third center back. Essentially, nothing. Nothing is the same as the first two games. If you want, you can extend it to preseason. Although I don't want to necessarily count it, but the three five two two games before the season starts. How are how is any player supposed to get used to anything? Like at this point, isn't this the reason why Real Madrid? don't do well in the league and are good um, in the Champions League because if you if you're trying to get accustomed to a certain scheme and you just it's completely different each time um, that probably that has a more better chance of working on a given night in a European game where teams are more react reactionary to the other because they're elite opponents um, but to me like why so if, if he's if he's saying let's say at, after the po- game he's saying we did this because we knew Villarreal doesn't deal well with crosses or whatever, which I'm not even entirely sure if that's true or not. I mean, I don't know if they're worse defending crosses than any other specific team. Um, if 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 he's reacting his tactics to a team like Villarreal, it, it, it's a bit too reactionary to me. If you're changing your style of play every game in the La Liga, just like you have the you have the best squad in Spain, arguably. Um, you could argue Barca is better. Whatever, you 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 have an amazing squad and way better than anyone else's squad you come up against. Like ninety nine point nine percent of the time, just just play and just put your throw on the opponent and play the way you do without like um, having to switch it every time and kind of so reactionary. And I I don't get this. I I get the injuries. Okay, there's injuries, uh, an astronomical amount of injuries that no one wants to deal with. And by the way, if you want to put Hazard in a crossing scheme and you want to reduce him to going on the left and crossing. Um, good luck with that if that's your use of Eden Hazard. I, don't, I hope right. that I hope that when he comes back by default, it changes because it has to because he just he, that's not his game at all. Um, but if um, if that's if that's the plan, like 
you have your your squad is deep enough that you could have played some resemblance to to the way you did against Valladolid with James Nisco and that you could have dropped Benzema a little deeper. You could have put Modric in there, although I guess Modric maybe wasn't 100%, so you want to save him. Um, there, there, there are ways to do it. And I'm not saying necessarily you have to play a certain way and that's, that's the only way, you know. But, but I think the constant scheme shuffling makes it difficult to succeed in a consistent basis because it's, you're not really getting used to anything. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, the 4-3-3 we had, you know, to, to the end of the second half was evidence that we could have played. It, it didn't have to be that 4-4-2 despite the injuries. And I think that goal that came basically right after the substitutions basically killed any chance of us seeing, like, how that was going to affect things. But I think that was probably the better way to start the game. Just because looking at the lineup, I was, I was excited. Okay, Jovic and Benzema together, this can be cool. But at the same time, and I, I, I mean, I'm not. You can go look at the managing Madrid account. Like I, I on Twitter, I, I tweeted this bef- like an hour before the game started. My reply to that tweet was: at the same time, Kroos is really the only one who who can provide us any sort of control this game. So that is a bit worrying. And yeah, as it turned out, Jovic did end up doing some nice things. You know, he I thought he actually looked kind of nice next to Benzema, though I was really puzzled with Benzema not coming deeper more often. But at the same time, we had no control whatsoever. And I think Casemiro had a particularly bad day that enhanced that in the first half. So, yeah, it's just... I mean, there has to be there has to be other ways, like you were saying. Anyway, you wanted to talk about Mendy. Well, Kroos, by the way, from a deep position, deeper position, um, four, four key passes, four shots. So, like... Um, he was doing his part as a kind of a deeper line creator, um, but also getting in into advanced areas too. And I, I'd have to go back and look at where where everyone else was when if if Cruz was also in the box on um, on some of those occasions. Mendy, I thought, um, I like what I saw him from an individual defending perspective. I felt more secure there defensively than I did with Marcelo if he was going up in those same situations. Um, shocking statement, I know he's not as good as Marcelo offensively. Um, and you kind of maybe start to appreciate. I mean, you should appreciate Marcelo anyway. But like Mendy, really just did not look un- look comfortable with the ball at his feet in in so many occasions. Um, heavy touches, over dribbling, um, awesome individual defending, and good reading of the game. Four interceptions, four completed tackles. Um, just did not look entirely comfortable with the ball at his feet. Um, so, kind of a mixed bag. But I was encouraged overall from what I saw from him. Yeah. So. This, to me, like pretty much fits exactly with the scouting report we did on School of Real Madrid, our um, YouTube channel that we have with Nagib. Like, to me, it was kind of emblematic of that. Um, he's not the greatest dribbler. Uh, like, there were moments where he had, I, he was isolated the, the op- opposition right back on the left-hand side. And, like, I mean, he just ran the ball out of play because he doesn't have the greatest lateral agility. Um and I think that showed a little bit. Villarreal didn't really press us. I mean, they did a bit on the wings, but it was more opportunistically if they were going to press high. And there was a situation um, where Mendy, um, I think this actually produced a chance for us just through winning it through 50-50 duels, but Mendy played this really bad pass out from the from the left wing position. I, I don't know if it was Casemiro who saved it, 
you know, and then like one of 50, 50, and then we, we were on our way. Um, but it was just, it was bad. And it's, it's kind of weird because Mendy is actually a strong passer because he lacks that lateral agility because he lacks that really good ball control. He's kind of a weakness when being pressed and a weakness in tight situations. But like you said, in, individually, from a defensive perspective, he's very good. He's very good at covering space because of his physicality, his speed, and just his the quickness with which he reads passes. And then one versus one, he's difficult to beat, especially if he's not facing like a super tricky defender. And he, he did today actually in Chip Wesley, which was that was encouraging because the biggest weakness with Mendy is is if he has someone like Chukweze running at him in space, who's twisting and turning all the time, that's the one time where I feel like Mendy's defensive weakness is there, and he handled himself really well today. So, yeah, I mean, it's... But but that's the thing, right? And yet, with all of that Mendy gave us defensively, we did not look good defensively. That's the thing. People will keep saying, we need this player, we need this player, we need, we need more. We had Casemiro, we had Mendy... We were playing in a 4-4-2 with Bale and Lucas on the wings. If you cannot be secure defensively with that kind of personnel, in that kind of formation, it goes beyond players. It is a systemic issue. Yeah. Defensive I mean, transition. It is purely tactical. Yeah, two, two two-way wingers, um, a 4-4-2, a traditional 4-4-2 in a sense. Well, not traditional because you see Casemiro's role, but from a personnel standpoint, Casemiro, <laughs> um, a two defensively sound wingbacks and two world-class defenders. That's why we, I always say like it's, it's about scheme, not formations. You can, you can throw out any formation you want at me. 3-5-2 will, will help us solidify our, you know, our defensive structure, this, that, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's less about formation. It's more about scheme. Are there any, any other things you want to hit before we get to questions? Right, yeah. So I just want to talk about a couple more individual performances. Okay. Um, one is Jovic. He didn't have a lot of the ball, but I thought he made the most of what he had, um, especially with that flick to put Carvajal through on goal um, for, for our equalizer, our first equalizer. But also I was impressed with some of his deep movements. So like he is not a classic or not, sorry, not classic. He's not your complete all around forward, deep buying type forward like Benzema, but he did kind of play that role to a very limited extent with Frankfurt in that he knows how to drop deep in the half spaces and quickly lay off passes and play that one-touch game. And I saw some of that, and it helped us. And ironically, he was coming a bit deeper than Benzema sometimes. And there were those situations and those moments where Jovic kind of broke us through, and then there was no support around him, and we lost the ball. And... If we just had a scheme, like I, I said, I, I don't know if I said this before in the podcast, but I definitely said this on Slack. And I, I, I definitely said this on the management Twitter account, I think. But if Hamas and Isco were in this team, and they were helping us play narrow, and they were they were helping us with our ball progression, I feel like Jovic would have made a bigger impact. But we just we just couldn't get the ball to him in the final third, and which you know it just wasn't the perfect conditions for strikers to play in. And then yeah, I I wanted to talk about Carvajal because. We've we've had a lot of criticism for him. Um, a lot of it, I'd say like 90% of it has been fair, which, to be honest, is kind of rare with this fan base when we decide to go after a player. Um, but, you know, ever since Real Valladolid, I think that one debatable mistake, in my opinion, I think kind of overshadowed the fact that he was actually decent for most of the game. 
And then today, he was actually quite good offensively. You know, before he, he made the movements um, to spark that goal for Bale, he had that one, he initiated just out of nowhere a passing triangle down the wing to spark a good Benzema chance that I think hit the post. He was he was solid today offensively and defensively. I found it hard to say that he was a liability, and that was good to see. Probably going to go under the radar. I hope not. Maybe with the assist that it doesn't. But I do feel like, bar that mistake again, arguable mistake versus liability. I, I actually do think Carvajal may be on the up again. Small sample size, but it was promising today from what I saw from the uh, the over explosion or reaction of. But Carvajal from that last game was was just bonkers to me, and I you know I've been critical of Carvajal for two years, and I don't think he had a good game. But it was just everything about that game was about him for some reason. I don't I don't I don't really understand why. Um, all right, I think we should move to questions. So patreoncom management is where you go to pledge. I almost I'm almost certain that there is a lot of questions going to be coming in after we finish recording uh, because we're recording fairly early um on sunday here pretty much you know like about a half hour four or five minutes after the game so uh apologies if we missed your question if we did we'll just bring it forward to the next episode that matt and i do on tuesday morning for the loan tracker um brennan power says maybe i'm being reactive and rash but is it crazy to think it was a mistake to let odegaard kubo and others go this team just looks so stale offensively and i seem to have no confidence in this team coming back, especially when we are away. <clears throat> Excuse me. And these are feelings um, that are a continuation from last season, but it's nothing like 16-17 when I knew we were going to win games and come back. I lack confidence in this team, something I haven't done much except for these past two years. Mendy was impressive for me. He was the best player on the pitch, excluding Bale. My point about the younger players and others being maybe this team could use new blood and a change of scenery uh, on the pitch. My voice is gone at this point, uh, but if uh, just the, I guess we can talk about some of the loanies that could have been part of the squad. So the main one for me is Odegaard in favor of basically Lucas Vasquez, but, but it's not a huge miss. Like I'm not super, super mad that Odegaard is off at Real Sociedad already being the key player on that team who's probably going to get like 31, 32 starts in La Liga. We have more than enough talent on the wings. Like, we really do. The Hisco and Hamas injuries are quite unfortunate, but if you include them being fit, we have Isco, Hamas, we have Bale, we have Lucas Vasquez, we have Vinicius Jr. I mean, we have enough. Kubel... I mean, to me, this is kind of like a classic preseason overreaction. Like, I like Kubo. Clearly a good player, but I, I, he's not ready to be in this Real Madrid team and just come on like 20 minutes every game and, you know, just expect him to make an impact. And he's definitely, in my opinion, probably not ready to be starting game in, game out over someone like Gareth Bale, who essentially just won us the game today. Like... He, he needs game time, and at Mallorca, it doesn't even seem like a sure thing that he's going to be a starter yet. So, I mean, look at look at, look at at how people's opinions have changed on Vinicius already. Last season was start him every game. And yeah, the Vinicius exploded. slander is out of hand. 
Right, and now it's like, oh, dude, this guy is garbage now. Like, the exact same thing would be happening with Kubo with the caveat that I don't think he would have exploded the way Vinicius does because kids doing that is just super rare. Just, just probability-wise, you can just almost confidently say, like, yeah, one out of 20 guys, young guys, are going to do what Vinicius did because we have that sample size. The last guy to do this since Vinicius was Hesse. So... I mean, it's it, to me, it's like we mentioned this earlier, players you can put in or out. The issue today was primarily tactical. I mean, it just really was. The main thing to me was like, I guess you could have Casemiro, you could have played Valverde instead of Casemiro. I think he would have given that energy, that defensive ability while being a lot better on the ball, but he wouldn't have given you the presence of the box. So what wouldn't have been what Zizou wanted. But other than that, like it's just, you can play whoever you want. You really can. When the issues are tactical, it just doesn't really matter that much. And I don't know how Kubo is going to solve our transition defense magically. You know, I, I don't know how Odegaard is going to do that either. And when ben, when Zidane's idea is to cross our way to victory, how are those two going to change that? I, I don't get it. Well, the, the silver lining with not having Odegaard in the squad is essentially just that you get to see him play and and hopefully succeed. The early returns have been good at Sociedad. I promise you we're not seeing that version of Odegaard at Real Madrid because we're just probably not going to see him on the pitch <clears throat> to begin with. So <clears throat> there is like that. I could easily make the, the, the flip argument to like having them in the squad as a uh, as security. It's like actually it's better to just have them play and, and develop elsewhere rather than having like Odegaard play once a month, come off the bench, do some stuff. And yeah, I, I really am not interested in seeing Odegaard on the right flank just popping up and crossing all, all game. That's not his game either. So um, that's, I guess there is that, that side of the argument. Um, now if like a different person is, is in charge and like this, it's, a, it's a different kind of scheme altogether and, and you need those players and that's different. But we also have to remember we do have an, an abnormal injury list right now, which, which makes no sense how deep the injury list is to, in, to an, a bunch of key players and in uh, in a key area that we we need offensive production from and kind of just midfield control, um, and we also have to remember Rodrigo Gosh is still in the squad, so that's that's another one we're not even using right now that that could that could fall under the category. Um, the one I think you could circle is Ceballos, um, as someone who yeah. could, who who obviously gives you midfield depth. Um, Frederick Rantakiro says. Well, just a question, quick one, that is almost rhetorical. He says, do you remember when we thought we had too many wingers and offensive midfielders? Um, well, this, I guess the reality, this is a freak situation right now. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else it's to say. Partly, it's partly freak, and then also it's probably not the greatest idea to not give Hamas a single minute of preseason and then throw him in a game like him getting a muscle injury, especially given the fact that he's never been the fittest guy from an injury perspective, like, that was coming. That I mean, that was just it biting Zidane in the ass for like basically not wanting Hamas and then being like, ah, oh, yeah, I, I guess we got to use him. Iskos, Iskos is probably more freak, but I mean, Hamas was just like, if you're not going to play him in preseason at all and basically give him signals that like he's gone and then be like suddenly, hey man, I need you. It, I mean, he he clearly looked rusty. Even though he played well that game versus Vida lead, he looked rusty. And he came off injured and so like but yeah i mean those guys are fit we we do have a lot um um 
Essa Hariri says, I know you guys criticize Casemiro's passing a lot, which I've also done, but shouldn't we give him some credit today for some excellent passing sequences? He clearly improved on that since last year, and he is very involved in the distribution of the ball and carrying attacking forward. I'm just saying, maybe we should have read this question at the beginning of the show before we before we talked about Casemiro for an hour, but I will say, like, the improvement in Casemiro's passing is not actually new to me. Like, I, I, I can go back to some tactical articles I wrote um, in the last few years, which, like, actually had some really good Casemiro passing sequences um, and performances where he he hit out some nice passes and um, some nice vertical passes, and, and he actually was good offensively. And simultaneously with those things, he also had a lot of bad moments that, that crippled the team. So I, it's not actually not new to me. I don't think he's... I, maybe he is improving, but I actually have, have noticed that his passing has... It's kind of like those... Um, I guess it's his passing to Miom is high ceiling, low floor. It's like it could be both in any sequence. It could be a ridiculous giveaway with like zero pressure around him, or it could be like a 70-yard vertical dagger like diagonal that like I don't know hits finds it as a poem. I, I I think he he has that in his arsenal, but it's not consistent and it's just kind of sporadic. Right. Um, it's a, it's a, well the the a, the question is like basically what you were saying on Slack. It's that does his does his does his uh, does his production outweigh his destruction? Yeah, I mean, That's it's not what you said, benef- but yeah. It's I said it's a cost is it a it's cost it's a basic cost benefit analysis. Name me, I mean, because basically, I, I guess if you want to basically be like, Casemiro is actually pretty good on the ball. I mean, look at all the other, I guess, you know, good players on the ball who are creating things in the final third. And then tell me how many times they lose the ball compared to the good things they create. Yeah, I mean, Casemiro has his moments. I mentioned specifically in the first half, at, with all those giveaways, he had that really good pass to Jovic and he had a couple other good moments I mentioned his switches of play which have always been I think the strongest point of his passing but he also gave the ball away like six seven times with a passing accuracy eight points lower than Kroos despite having the same number of passes so is that really a good argument for having Casemiro play the role that he did and for him saying that he's good on the ball that you know, for every six times he gives it away, he'll have two good passes. I don't know if that's necessarily the best argument. It does indicate that, yeah, Casemiro will have his moments and that, you know, he's not terrible on the ball, which isn't a surprise to me because he's a top-flight player. Like, you should be able to pass the ball as a top-flight player. That doesn't necessarily mean that you should be in the number 10 role trying to, like, string things together offensively. Like, when you have that level of volume in that area... You're going to make some things happen, especially if you're not a bad player. And Casemiro is not a bad player. But, yeah, I mean, can, is there like literally like 20 other players, you know, in our squad that can play that role better than him? I think so. And at, at the same time, you also have to take into account that having Casemiro do all of this means he's not defending the counterattack. So it's like cost-benefit analysis of not only just what he's doing on offense, but also how that affects his defense. And so, yeah, I mean, it's not just super convincing for me. I, I don't know if I can really buy it. And that's the key point. It's that he's not a defensive midfielder at this point. Um, Varun says, Why uh, are Pochettino, Mourinho, Pep, Ancelotti, Simeone, they're all considered tactically astute, but Zidane never gets that respect or recognition 
um, and he's labeled as a man manager. To find the meaning of tactics, if replacing Casemiro and someone else with Asensio and Vasquez against PSG a couple years ago isn't a tactical masterclass, then what is? This is one among several examples where Zizou proved himself as a quick thinker. Once and for all, please explain to me uh, and us the footballing side of understanding this juxtaposition. Uh, those tactical master classes absolutely exist. I don't. I don't think we ever denied that, did we? Like, I actually, quite con- on the contrary, we. I mean, we 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 spoke at length about some of those tactical, basically. I I wouldn't say anomalies, but they kind of were. But like, there was, there was a whole series of big games that were just like incredible from Zidane, and I don't think I will ever take um, those away from him. But there is also a question of like, you know, what would this team look like? With a Pochettino um, or somebody like that, to me, it's a completely so, different team. So, we go ahead, go ahead. Actually, <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off like that. Um, so, I I get this question every once in a while, and it just I, I'm not always necessarily sure if it's like being asked in good faith. Like, I w- I will assume this one is. Um, and I'm just saying this in general. I'm not trying to attack you, Varun. I'm just saying in general, it's most of the time, it's just kind of like, you know, you're kind of dumb. Like, you just hate Zidane or something. But I think here's, like, a good chance to just address it, like, at face value as, as a legitimate question. Because it can be confusing. Like, you know, I, I, it, it really is confusing to assess Zidane sometimes. Because, he, like you mentioned, he does come up with some really good performances probably the best one he ever did was versus Sevilla, Copa del Rey, first leg, 16-17 season versus Jorge Sampaoli, Sevilla. That was a very, very, very good performance. But that doesn't, in and of itself, make you a great tactician. So if you just want to think about what greatness means as a whole in anything, it's about not just peaks, it's about consistency. And if you want to tell me that Zidane produces those performances on a consistent basis, you're gaslighting. I mean, that, that is just simply not true. There, you, you, there is no way. I mean, I, I challenge anyone to go and do the thorough analysis that Keon and I do. Pick a string. I, I Pick four games, if you can, where, where it was like that, where, where Zidane produced performances like that. And so then that's when you get into the actual granular assessment of, of the tactics and what tactics is. Because Varun asked, define the meaning of tactic, which is fair. And I think just at kind of the base level, when we come into the game, what we think of tactics are is just kind of basic player selection and substitutions, right? That's kind of what we tend to think of tactics as at the basic level. And when it comes to substitutions, Zidane actually, I think, is in the upper percentile of managers, which is why versus Valladolid, when he kind of screwed himself with the substitutions, I was kind of surprised. And I wrote in my, my tactical analysis between the posts, I think, or at least I mentioned it on Slack, like, I, I was surprised. Like, usually um, Zidane gets the substitutions right, and this time it was off. But tactics is a far deeper than that. When you, when you get to the root of it, tactics are how you organize your team to enhance the players on the pitch to create a better goal difference than the other team. And when you start getting into the rules of what that means, that means defensively, are you compact? Are you, are you stopping spaces between the lines? 
You know, is, is your team communicating well? Is, is everything well-structured? Is it organized? And on the offensive side, it means how well-spaced is your attack that you could create advantages for your team? So is it well-spaced enough that you can create tons of really good one-versus-one opportunities for your good dribblers? Or if you don't have them, how is it helping enhance your passing sequences, right? Like, are we taking advantage of our playmakers to put them in good positions, you know, to get, to get them to progress the ball efficiently? And when you start looking at Zidane, you start looking at the structure of what he's doing. I mean, the answer is like, no, he's not doing it well on a consistent basis. I mean, beyond anything, defensively, try to show me a string of two games, two games where our defensive transition didn't look like a mess. Because there have been games, there has been one games, isolated games spattered across the season where that has been the case. But you cannot find two games two games together across the entire Zidane era where at least one of those games our transition defense wasn't holes because that has to do and I mean transition defense is the biggest test of tactics right because it depends on what you do offensively it's how you set up your players and space them and prepare them and drill the mentality into them that once they lose the ball here is the plan that we have to execute within five seconds so we stop the opposition from getting onto us. And all of the managers that you mentioned, Pochettino, Mourinho, Pep, Ancelotti, Simeone, in their peak or still have been able to control transition defense better than almost any other manager in history. And that is Zidane's biggest weakness. So I, can, I cannot hold him up in, in that regard of, of, of tacticians until basically that thing is solved, though there are other issues as well. And so if you want to argue otherwise... I think it is really going to have to take, you're going to have to show me structurally, how does Zidane make the best of what we have and and basically just do the basic things like close off space, have some transition defense, position players between the lines so that we can progress the ball in an efficient manner. And I have not yet had anyone who's challenged me on this been able to produce that as evidence. And until someone does, I don't know if I have any other choice but to follow the evidence to basically come to the conclusion that basically... Zidane has his moments, but he's an inconsistent tactician. So this is why I put I put um, emphasis on the, the big games and their ability to win the big games under Zidane and the Champions League more than I do on their ability to win a league title. Because there are certain things that play in those big games um, where he's he is good at adjusting things, he's good at making subs, uh, but he also... You know, he, while he has gotten some really good tactical things going in in a lot of games, big games throughout the years, um, I, and obviously not in a long time since he's been appointed um, in in this run. But he, so like, let's say if you if you look at Manchester City, for example, okay, I'm always amazed that every time I watch a Manchester City goal, it's literally if it, it feels like I'm watching the exact same goal over and over and over again. It's literally. Uh, it's like this run into the half space and and then they they create numerical superiority they get in this a square ball to an open man at the far post it's like it's like the same goal every time um i do think that we don't really have that game plan and i think that's obvious to see because the two things you mentioned for me that haven't been solved in years one is defensive transition and two the consistent ability to create high quality chances, um, and and it's it's too far reliant on individuals, individually brilliant people masking these tactical holes, and to me there are two players in particular that I think masked it over the years. One was Ronaldo for obvious reasons, 
The other one is Modric. Like you, you had the, we had the luxury and just the amazing, like just era of having Ronaldo plus the greatest central midfielder the club has ever had at his peak in, a, in the same area, in the same era, really doing so much. And we, you know, we talk about Casemiro as the guy who was kind of, patching things together, to me, it was Modric. It was Modric every time. It was Modric defending transition on his own. It was Modric covering for the right back. It was Modric going over to the left back to cover. It was Modric um, at times just completely by himself sprinting from the halfway line to prevent a shot on goal. And at the same time, without sacrificing his offensive brilliance and his creation. And it's... um, you, You just don't really have... You obviously don't have that version of Modric anymore. You don't have Ronaldo anymore. So th- then it becomes this, you, you fall into this situation where you're like, you have to make it work um, just based on scheme. And I, you know, if, so if the if you didn't have behemoths like Bale or Jovic, who, by the way, didn't even make a, a dent on crosses today anyway, but if you didn't have those, so what's your plan? I, I just, that that part of Zidane, and by the way, like they ask the, the question of what is a tactic? Well, anything is a tactic. Technically, the idea of crossing and flooding the final third and having one player mask mm-hmm. and come up with brilliant interventions defensively, that's a tactic. Um, but it's not its not sustainable. And I think that's... It's a question of optimization. It's a question of optimization, <clears throat> right? Is it, is it the best way to get something out of your squad to have two individuals cover a structural issue all the time? And maybe you can argue in 2016-17 it was. And it wasn't just results. The underlying numbers supported that Real Madrid were probably the best team in the world. And I mentioned all the late wins and stuff, and you can have all of that. But through it all, we, we just had enough. 16-17 was the anomaly to me. It, it really was like from start, for the majority of that season, it was, I thought Zidane got it right. Like I, I don't really have many complaints about that season. Yeah, it's... It's 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 and I mean another test of a good tactician is how do you adapt when you get new players, new schemes, and clearly we have a different squad this time, right? That we need to play in a different way, and so far we're not. I mean, and and this has happened basically. I mean, honestly, with Simeone, this could be a criticism of him. He has never figured out how to play in a more offensive manner, and year after year he gets a bunch of new signings, new offensive signings, and he's never figured it out. But with Guardiola, he has played in he he has played in two key different ways in Barcelona. It's obvious, right? Like he had the Xavi Iniesta Messi played with inverted wingers, and then with Bayern and City, different types of players. He didn't have Messi, didn't really have the same level of controlling midfielders. He adapts. He plays with inverted fullbacks. He plays with traditional wingers, and basically his teams are almost as good as the Barcelona one. You know, Mourinho has obviously played with so many different teams, with so many different styles. Real Madrid was very attacking, the most offensive team he ever had. And in 2011-12, he were extremely good defensively. You know, Ancelotti, same thing. You know, Pochettino has, like, had no consistency, like, with Tottenham, like, or too much consistency with last season, no signing. It's a question of optimization, right? Like, how does Pochettino take a squad that makes, that, that, make, that had no signings, their midfield depth is essentially non-existent, how does he take that team to the Champions League final? And we have the squad that we have, and we basically think that we don't have enough quality to win anything, to go anywhere. That implicitly says something about what we think about the quality of the coaching. 
So, I mean, does Zidane optimize his talent or does he just do well enough with the talent, which I think was what 16-17 was, right? Like, the question of optimization is very open. I think, you know, forget 16-17. At the moment, are we optimizing the talent? No, we're not. And optimization, I think, is like the key of how you assess tactics, right? Because you said crossing is a tactic. But does is this the best way to get the best out of the players that we have? No, at you know at the moment, from what we've seen with this game being like a prime case study, you know the optimization is extremely poor. I do think there's a there are basically just different different levels of tactics. Um, you can there are simple tactics and tactics that are a bit more complex, and like more complex tactics are maybe tactics you'll see from the aforementioned managers in this list. <clears throat> Whereas, like the simple tactics, there's not necessarily nothing wrong with them. But you want you if you start to really run into problems over a consistent basis, and you can't really tweak it by simple things, um, it, you, you just run into trouble. I think. Um, so, you know, if that that sixteen seventeen season, if you really really wanted to scrutinize it, you really really wanted to be um, kind of anal about it, you could say the team outperformed their xG by fifteen goals. Um, and therefore, basically, their attack had a lot of individual brilliance that carried it, um, outperforming and scoring improbable chances. And if you want to combine it with Barcelona's, they would have lost the league if, if you go by expected points. But that's just really, really nitpicking, I think, because every season has luck for every champion. But, um, you know, I think it, it comes down to this this thing of, like, the things that you, that you said that stood out to me is one optimizing the players you have and getting the best out of them like you're not gonna i'm 100 percent convinced you want to throw hazard and odegaard into this scheme and play this way you're not you can't they, they, they don't they don't they don't function that way um which probably means that by default he will have to go to a more uh, a different route of controlling and, and pressing high the way he did with james and isco against vital and by the way i mentioned this to you on slack i mentioned it briefly on a podcast too I was worried that he may take away the wrong message from that Valladolid draw because the team scored when we switched to a four four two and and I thought maybe like because I I saw some people say this on Twitter too like um, stop stop criticizing the formation change we scored from that formation change but like yeah but the the goal and I mentioned this to Lucas too the goal had nothing to do with the formation change it was a brilliant goal from Benzema that I was just had nothing to do with the four four two. And the team suffered defensively like crazy in that in that formation. So I thought maybe he looks at that and be like, "Well, we played seventy minutes in this in this controlling scheme with packed midfield, and then we switched to four four two, and then we finally scored almost immediately." And so like that, I was worried that that's the that was the message that was taken away. I mean, I don't know. This may have just been down to injuries anyway. But I I do think I'm sticking to this. I don't think you can you can win the league playing this way. I don't I don't think you can do it. I think you can win the Champions League playing this way, and that that's not crazy to me. I'm not saying they will, but I think you have better chance winning a tournament like that than you do is in the league, where everything is different every game, and it's not reliable and it's not sustainable. And you're, and if you don't have a bail goal to bail you out today, then you're not even getting a point from this game. And by the way, this is not one game reaction. It's a, this is literally Real Madrid, Real Madrid don't win the league. This is like science. <laughs> go 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 back and look at it all. It's not one game saying, "Hey, it's early in the season." This is a culmination of a lot of analysis. So, um, <clears throat> do we hope that 
the next game and in the ensuing 35 games, whatever, 38, however many games are left, are complete 180s and it's these brilliant masterclasses and victories, of course. Uh, but understand our skepticism with it. I mean, I, I take no joy from saying that Zidane is not a particularly great tactician. Um, and after 16, 17, I was super excited. I was on record being like, I think Zidane's made a leap here. And at the start of the 17, 18 season, I thought we were quite unfortunate with the finishing. You know, Bale and Ronaldo were like missing every single chance imaginable. I, I didn't blame Zidane. And I was like, you know what? This this is actually, you know, I've seen some improvement here. There was some consistency there. And then he turned to that diamond. Our defensive transition became the worst it had been until that point. And, you know, and this is the diamond in 1718, not the one, 1617. And it, it just, the tactics just fell apart. And defensively, our numbers just imploded. Like, if, if that, I mean, maybe that happens, right? Like, maybe Zidane takes something from what he did with the via the lead game. I mean, defensive transition still wasn't great, but offensively, it looked quite nice with this going Hamas in the half spaces. We were doing different things. Um, we were just unfortunate with the finishing. XG-wise, we probably should have won that game. He goes forward and does that. I will happily, happily say, like, Zidane just had a great tactical season. Because there's nothing more than I want the Real Madrid to win. But I think there's enough sample size now to say that at the present moment, I mean, he's def- he's not at the level of like uh, a Pep Guardiola or a Jurgen Klopp tactically. I don't know why that's a particularly controversial thing to say. Um, and I don't necessarily think he's going to make that leap to like all-time great level tact- you know, tacticians over the next couple games. I mean, it, I, I, I overall, I do think that Zidane is still a good manager. You know, I, I don't think he's bad. You can't win three Champions Leagues being bad. But in terms of the specific circumstances that Real Madrid face at the moment, I wonder if he's the best man to do a rebuilding project. I don't know if his strengths are highlighted in the best way in this circumstance. Whereas 16-17, I felt like his strengths were highlighted and his weaknesses were covered by other things that he did, like play, like having Casemiro and Modric do the work that they did on the defensive side. Whereas I kind of feel like it's the opposite right now. Um, but yeah, I mean... If this doesn't come from a place of hate, you know, I Zidane gave me three Champions League titles. I'd be a goddamn idiot to hate him. Um, but I, to me, everyone thinks they're speaking objectively. But to me, I really do feel like I'm coming from an objective place. You know, I mean, it's for you to judge. You know, you could be maybe I do have some kernel of hatred that I have not like reckoned with. But I don't believe that's the case. I, I believe like this comes from years of like analyzing his games and looking at his tactics. All right. Well, I hope this this podcast wasn't too somber for you guys. Um, we I'd, I'd love for this to be a bit more upbeat than it was. Um, but um, I guess this is it was kind of a this game kind of dragged us a little bit. I think to be honest, um, I I'm gonna suggest we wrap it here. Um, I'm gonna do patron shoutouts. Do you want to plug anything before we wrap it up? We have the School of Real Madrid video um, on speaking of tactics. Mm, speaking of tactics. We're, yeah, I mean we're gonna be. Uh... In case you didn't think we were sanctimonious enough about our knowledge of tactics, uh, we are going to like release a video just explaining ten tactical concepts in layman's terms, um, because you know it's filled with jargon, right? Like that's why I think Varun's question about what what do you mean by tactic was not bad. I think that's a fair question because a lot of these quote unquote Twitter experts can just speak in all this jargon just to make themselves like look good without really saying anything. 
So we were going to break down 10 of these terms in like a really simple to understand way because, you know, understanding tactics from a fan's perspective is not that complicated. And so, yeah, hopefully that's something that you guys would be interested in. We might do more if the response to that video is good. But yeah, that's the main thing we have on the conveyor belt at the moment. Yeah, look out for that on the School of Real Madrid YouTube channel. It'll also be posting on Managing Madrid at some point um, early to mid this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm assuming. So uh, take a look out for that. Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid is where you go to get rewards and pledge. Um, you can sponsor the show. You can get access to bonus shows if you subscribe. Tuesdays, Matt Wilty and I do a loan tracker where we review every Real Madrid player in Rome. We watch their games and we report on how they did and, um, and kind of their progress. Uh, we also have other bonus shows coming um, regularly. So if you want access to those, patreon.com slash managingmadrid. One of your awards, if you pledge $10 or more, is you get a specific shout-out on the podcast. So wish me luck on, this, on these shout-outs because my voice is completely gone, but <clears throat> I'm going to try my best to get through this list, and so bear with me. All right, shout-out to these $10-plus patrons. Mikhail Nilsson, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Nick Stefani, Adam Dorsey, Frederick Rantakiro, Pascal Said, Leon Stavernakis, Christian Gonzalez, uh, Bjorn Salvador, Essa Hariri, Ilian Zako, Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Tyler Simon, Saad Omar, Oluwapamimo Oladunjoy, Patrick Odayafadi, Christian Toft, Dan Berthy, Armin Gashi, Tarek Sphere, Kunal Tilakar, Marin Myrtle, Tyler Dixon, Raul Gutierrez, Ragab Potluri, Vicky Cohen, Gary Kohut, Sujaiwani, Pena Maridisa, San Francisco Bay Area, Brandon Stevens, Casper Moscala, Catherine Fagundo, Zoran Basincic, Josue Ayala, Crystal Glass, Rafael Servia, Yehin Liang, Karen Scherer, Somanchu Singh, Brennan Powers, Rovi Tagiev, Amy L, Anthony Armesto, Shabazz Sharapov, Fabian Moreno, Varun, Bernard Kufur, Jack Edgar, Ashik Bashar, AMB6901, Daniel Pinkney, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Anton Hackberg, and Solomon Ortiz. Thank you so much to all you beautiful, lovely people who support this show. Thank you, and thanks for putting up uh, with uh, with kind of just, I guess, the somber mood that, that that appeared in this podcast. Yeah, this is one of the more negative ones we've yeah. done in a while, I think. Um, but yeah, I just, it, it wasn't a great performance at all, honestly, but yeah. I oh, think, yeah. Let's hope for better times. <laughs> we can't be ultra upbeat all the time. I think we tried to a lot, but uh, yeah, this was, I, maybe, you know, this is affected by like the whole being thing, you know, it just put me in a bad mood and like now it just affected everything I said and I like did a 180 on everything and I'm like, yeah, this just pissed me off too much. Well, I will just close by saying this. I, you know, I really believe that we do a, uh, objective analysis and we do proper analysis and I know that um, you see narratives floating around and I, I truly believe like we, we do this for a living like I wake up every day I watch film I look at stats I review things multiple multiple times I'm watching different things on the pitch to come up with you never come up with absolute truth because I don't think that exists in football but you do conjure um, basically the most the closest thing you get to the truth about how to analyze the game and what's true and what's not just by doing this every day um, so I, I, I th- to me it's actually less it's not it's, I wouldn't 
call it negativity i would just call it just analysis and sometimes it's sometimes it's happy sometimes it's not happy that's that's all it's not a, it's not a it's not about favoritism or or hating a player or, or liking one player more than the other it's just it is what it is it's, it's the way i look at it so for everyone listening we'll catch you guys tuesday over at patreon.com slash managing madrid and hala madrid hala madrid